Bruce Newberry. The food dude. All right, so here we are. It's Bruce Newberry with Ted Carusas, but we can't call it a TED Talk. And we're here at the Blue Play Diner. Nitro cold brew. Oh, that's been flying. That's off the my show. favorite. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know, everybody. Uh, well, you know, it's funny that you say that. So nitro, what that does is that you take cold pressed coffee, yes. which by design, because of the water and coffee ratio, becomes stronger. Yes. Not like espresso, but almost right. So it's got maybe three times the caffeine in it. Does it? Number one. Number two. When they put nitrogen into it, what it does is aerate. So as when you pour, it mixes air with the coffee so what you end up getting is a well-rounded not bitter cup of coffee right and you don't i like it with cream and sugar you don't have to add not an ounce of any cream or sugar not at all it because it looks creamy it tastes creamy it does and sweeter because it brings out those natural sweet notes so it's actually lowering calories actually zero calories right and right coffee, has zero coffee calories. is zero calories uh, the calories come from the cream and the sugar yeah so and but this does have a wonderful creaminess to it it is so good and so refreshing it is more yeah. refreshing than ordinary yeah, iced coffee it is. it's great and you don't need a huge portion because of the three right. times the content right. so you and get the little pick-me-up but one thing that you do here because you can get a cold brew iced coffee at a lot of places now but you do it right you chill it and yep. it is nice and cold and so you don't need a lot of ice you don't need any ice at all really right but you don't need a whole bunch of ice but it, it's so refreshing it is and it is. it's great it is the drink of the summer believe it or not we go through it and it's crazy because if you were to tell me that you'd go through three kegs of coffee a week i'd say you're, you're nuts but we're going through three kegs a that. week. Obviously, it's summer. Coffee by you know? the keg. <laughs> Coffee by the keg, right? That's so, terrific. Yeah, no, lots of so, good things. Terrific. So it, we're uh, we've started a podcast, Ted and I. It's the uh, it's called the Bruce Newberry Food Dude Podcast because we had to call it something. But it, Ted and I uh, sit and talk about a lot of things that we really don't get into in the confines of talking about food and wine and dining out and things like that. So one of the things I think I want to talk to you about is someone had written an article or something. Is there such a thing as American food? Here's a great new idea. Uh, It's funny that you say that. I think I heard something too. It might have been on NPR or one of those. You know, you get, I can't even tell you how I get my news, but I get snippets throughout the course of the day. It's usually stuff that I kind of want to follow. So I'm not as well versed as I should be. But I'll tell you as far as the food goes, it's interesting. So years ago, my father and I had written a cookbook called American regional cooking the tastiest dish ever put together in the wink of a chef's eye what it did as far as the historical context obviously it had tons of cookbooks from all the different regions of america but it went in the following manner back in colonial times people would come into the new world the americas and what did they do they brought with them their history their heritage their recipes which are part of their culture and then when they couldn't find let's say a chicken they'd find a wild turkey And all of a sudden, in lieu of chicken pot pie, let's say, they would have a turkey pot pie. So they would make do with the indigenous ingredients of the region. And if you follow that historical context, every region with its original settlers would have their, if they were from European influence, would bring their European recipes that would get somehow tweaked and adjusted for the local indigenous regions. So the reality is, yes, the recipes over time have become quite American because some of these foods were discovered in the New World and aren't there. And the opposite has happened. The most popular example is the tomatoes on a pizza, Mm -hmm. which went from us, the New World, back back to the old world. world. 
An authentic so pizza would be a white pizza, yeah, wouldn't exactly. it? I mean, if you really are historically accurate. That is an excellent point. Brings me to once upon a time, we all ate the same thing on this earth. Right, and, whatever and, we and could I, gather and pick. <laughs> well, true, just as a rule. But what I mean by that is if you go to any culture and go back historically, you will find every culture has some kind of a bread. Right. Right. Whether a street food or what a, have you, whether it's an could Akita be something or a lavage oh, or, or right. a tortilla. The tortilla the equals styles the of eating. gyro right. yeah. equals whatever fry bread, the southwestern. Yeah. The fry bread has a cousin in Europe, polenta. Right, right. Well, it's made the cornmeal, right? Is it, if right. I'm not mistaken, right? Right, yeah. right. So you've had fry bread. Right. <laughs> Chances are someone listening to right. us within the sound of our voice has had fry bread. It's the uh, Hellenic festival right. uh, this weekend, the Greek festival right. going on. Yep. So everybody's going to be eating gyros. Oh, that's and this weekend? That's this my weekend. Poor Greek culture. Shout out to all my Greek friends. I'm sorry. Yes. Usually, they, they, you know, it's been so tough to kind of volunteer. It's been tough. Oh, not man. at all. My uncle, no wonder why he was trying to call me first thing this morning. See? My 92-year-old uncle. Are you going down there? <laughs> so everybody's going to be uh, having... Uh, Greek uh, for a day. Greek for a day, right? Yeah. You'll find some similarities with with the Greek, say the Greek cheese, the feta. Right. Feta right. is... Uh, milk, goat's milk. It's made with the goat's milk traditionally. There you go. Yeah, right? And, and then you have goat cheese in France or chevre, and then you have, uh, you know... In, in Italy, they'll use it. They make buffalo, buffalo mozzarella. Buffalo mozzarella, yeah. yes, so. absolutely. So there you go. Uh, we had, last weekend, we went to Water Fire, and the caterer did, because uh, it was Bastille Day, mm-hmm. did all French oh, yeah. food. So we had goat cheese, yeah. and we had the, the, the gougier, the little puffs uh, yeah. with yeah. Uh, the savory puffs, and but we had mussels. The mules, absolutely. Yeah. Which you know, what's more, what's more, mules, New England mules and frites, mule frites. Yeah. Yes, there you go. So we we kind of uh, you can find relatives, you can find kinfolk in your food. Well, it's funny you say it. So on that same note, we used to have a rule when my father had the culinary school, right? And this is so many kids were trying at the time to kind of mix and match new foods and try and get uh, this fusion cuisine, sure. which my father always used to call confusion cuisine, right? That's like an internal <laughs> joke. A little that. joke. Like if you're confused, you're just throwing a bunch of junk on a plate. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. Whatever can be put together in a jiffy. But there are some standard rules. If you look at regional cuisines, if it grows together, it goes together. Real simple. Excellent. So if you look out and you see chickens hanging out with beef, chaining out, you know, like with lamb or walking the fields or certain like fruits that are grown on your property naturally, right? Like they weren't cultivated and put there. Right. If it naturally grows in the topography, then it will naturally flow together when you eat it. On the plate. Mmm, are they good. Depending how you assemble it, what cooking method you will use. Here's how it's made. So it really is quite simple, right? The simpler the rest, first start out with if it grows together, it goes together, which right. means now you have to work your way backwards and historically know what foods grow in what areas and what proteins will sure. actually be found in a certain area. So like if you look at mussels, you'll also know off the coast of, let's say, Burgundy, but that's also where they grow their potatoes. Yes. So they, they go together. They, Belgium, right? Same thing. No, you need the same thing. If you look over across, where do all the Prince Edward Island mussels? Guess what? Look at a bag of potatoes Where's from Canada, it from? where they come from. Prince Edward Island. So that kind of mentality is very, very important. That's the first thing. Know where it comes from, origin, which is huge because everybody talks about sustainability and knowing their product sourcing. 
two. Bake in an oven until brown. Look at the regional cuisine of the area. What are the styles? Do they fry? Do they pan sear? Are they slow roast? That kind of thing. And it, chances are you take some from that area and use that kind of method that's indigenous to the area, you're going to get a great product, period. And even if you're not a good chef, you're going to get a better than you would if you try to mix and match too many things. Sure. So I think just simplifying your approach, looking at the origin, starting out with good locally sourced product that is not bruised or doesn't travel for, for hundreds of miles. Right. That all adds up into a better tasting product, a more regional type of cuisine, and then ultimately and for that crowning touch a simpler recipe that is more consistent with a classic and as we all know classics never go out of style it's a question of what am i in the mood for right so always revert back to the classics i like it i think you have a podcast there this is really good ted (laughs) at the blue plate down hey speaking of uh, speaking of george i wanted to make mention he was toiling out there in new bedford oh he was the star of the show at the uh there was an event a fundraiser for the the waterfront the working waterfront and the culture and so forth and uh george was uh, doing scallops out there he's pretty humble he doesn't tell me anything so yeah well that's what he does he's uh the uh, corporate executive chef for eastern fisheries which is the largest scallop company in the world can't believe it. They have something like four or five hundred boats. It is unbelievable. That they own, that the go the out. largest scallop and port. And New Bedford is known for the largest export of scallops worldwide. It is the largest scallop port in the world. Yeah, it's it, crazy. It truly oh, is. Good. So, good job, Dad. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Ted, uh, fantastic. Subscribe to our podcast. You can get the podcast from the uh, Blue Play Diner Facebook page or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We got a whole bunch of them up there. And that is a taste of what is going on here at the Blue Play Diner. Put together in a jiffy. Bruce Newberry. The food dude. 